Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Melanie C., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is April 1st, 2014, Tuesday. Today we are reading from the Big Book, and we are at page 41, paragraph 1 for review which is, I went to my hotel, and we'll be focusing our sharing on the second paragraph. Today's readers are Lois M., 12 Steps, Kathy W., 12 Traditions, readers of the text, Sally A., Larry from Chicago, and Du L. The reference number for yesterday, which was Monday, March 31st, 2014, is 6116. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive overeating and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one, one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Lois M. to read the 12 steps. Good morning, everyone. This is Lois M. in Massachusetts, and I'm happy to read the 12 steps today. Number one, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrong. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to re- remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people whenever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as a result, as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, and I pass.
Thank you, Lois. I will now ask Kathy W. to read the 12 traditions. Good morning. This is Kathy W. from Manitoba, Canada. The 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as we as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our servant centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible for those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, and films. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all, our, uh, all, of, all of our traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you. I pass. Thank you. Thank you. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature that we are discussing, and that you keep your sharing to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book on page 41, paragraph 1, I went to my hotel for context and review, and then our focus study will begin on paragraph 2 as soon as I regain my ability. And I will ask Sally A. to begin reading. Thank you, Melanie. This is Sally, recovered in South Jersey. I went to my hotel and leisurely dressed for dinner. As I crossed the threshold of the dining room, the thought came to mind that it would be nice to have a couple of cocktails with dinner. That was all. Nothing more. I ordered a cocktail and my meal. Then I ordered another cocktail. After dinner, I decided to take a walk. 
When I returned to the hotel, it struck me. A highball would be fine before going to bed. So I stepped into the bar and had one. I remember having several more that night and plenty next morning. I have a shadowy recollection of being in an airport bound for New York and of finding a friendly taxicab driver at the landing field instead of my wife. The driver escorted me about for several days. I know little of where I went or what I said and did. Then came the hospital with unbearable mental and physical suffering. As soon as I regained my ability to think, I went carefully over that evening in Washington. Not only had I been off guard, I had made no fight whatever against the first drink. This time I had not thought of the consequences at all. I had commenced to drink as carelessly as though the cocktails were ginger ale. I now remembered what my alcoholic friends had told me, how they prophesied that if I had an alcoholic mind, the time and place would come. I would drink again. They had said that though I did raise a defense, it would one day give way before some trivial reason for having a drink. Well, just that did happen and more, for what I had learned of alcoholism did not occur to me at all. I knew from that moment that I had an alcoholic mind. I saw that willpower and self-knowledge would not help in those strange mental blank spots. I had never been able to understand people who said that a problem had them hopelessly defeated. I knew then it was a crushing blow. So a lot has been just said. As soon as I regained my ability to think, I wonder how long it took him to regain his ability to think in light of the fact that he spent several days driving around with that taxicab driver on a, on a spree uh, or a binge. As soon as I regained my ability to think, I went carefully over that evening in Washington. Not only had I been off guard and if your eyes would just travel across the page, right on the other side of the page, it says, I felt I had every right to be self-confident that it would be only a matter of exercising my willpower and keeping on guard. And here we are on the opposite side of the page, and he tells us not only had I been off guard, as if standing guard with a shield and a sword to keep us from picking up our binge foods. Okay, so he'd been off guard. I had made no fight whatever against the first drink. I'm reminded of the top of page XXX in the doctor's opinion. It says, There are many situations which arise out of the phenomenon of craving which cause men to make the supreme sacrifice rather than continue to fight. So here's a situation that arises out of his phenomenon of craving, and rather than make the supreme sacrifice, which would be to to do whatever it takes to not pick up, to admit to himself that he had this thing, he's telling us on, you know, on the top of XXX, that rather than make the supreme sacrifice, rather than continue to fight. So he made no fight whatever against that first drink. 
it is a fight for some people against that first fight. But can we really fight the first, the first bite? I know for myself, when I picked up that slice of pizza after five years of back-to-back white-knuckling abstinence, I had no fight in me. I was completely nonchalant about the whole thing. It goes on to say, this time I had not thought of the consequences at all. The consequences, losing his mind, eventually losing his job. We saw a consequence for him where his, his wife didn't even come to the airport. He must have made a phone call in the midst of things that she knew. Um, so for me, consequences, lost mind, um, eventually lost jobs, lost relationships, lots of lost time, lots of lost goals, lots of isolation, more of fear, more of dishonesty, more of self. Okay, so he had not thought of the consequences at all. I had commenced to drink as carelessly as though the cocktails were ginger ale. I now remembered, ooh, now I remember what my alcoholic friends had told me, how they prophesied that if I had an alcoholic mind, the time and place would come. I would drink again. They had said that though I did raise a defense, it would one day give way before some trivial reason for having a drink. We don't really need any reason. We've got an allergy of our body. And now comes a wonderful part of this paragraph. Well, just that did happen and more. For what I learned for alcoholism did not occur to me at all. I knew from that moment that I had an alcoholic mind. Okay, this guy has finally got it. He's admitting he's powerless over the drink and that his life is unmanageable. He's at step one solid. I saw that willpower and self-knowledge would not help in those strange mental blank spots. This is very important. He's finally seeing that he's got a strange mental blank spots. I've actually recently come to consider it some kind of mental dementia that only affects this one, this one particular area of my life right now. So I saw that willpower and self-knowledge would not help in those strange Mental blank spots. I had never been able to understand people who said that a problem had them hopelessly defeated. I knew then it was a crushing blow. Pages 23, 24, 33, 35, 37, and here we are at 42, tell us about this mental twist, mental phenomenon. And on page 92, I love this particular one. It says... At the top of the page, how baffled you were, how you finally learned that you were sick. Give him an account of the struggles you made to stop. Show him the mental twist. Over and over in this book, we are being, we are being educated to understand what is the problem. We have an allergy of our body. We have this strange mental blank spot or mental twist or mental phenomenon and so many other ways that they put it. But we're blessed to finally understand what we've got, what we're dealing with. Can we fix it with just this knowledge? Absolutely not. With that, I pass. Thank you. Who would like to comment on what was read? Good morning. This is Anne-Marie. Good morning, Anne-Marie. Hi. Um, Okay. (laughs) Um, I'd just like to share on, um, on my experience with this. 
um, over and over. I'm, I'm so glad that we're reading this over and over because this was my experience. Uh, not, you know, just picking up the, the, the first bite and then, you know, being the following morning with the headache and the nausea and the feeling yucky and thinking, why did I do this? How did this happen? Over and over again. And when I was about eight years old, I picked up, well, that, from what I remember, uh, my first bite. And it wasn't for the taste of the food, of the, it was the cookies that I, I ate. It was for comfort. And it, you know, recently um, occurred to me that I kept on compulsively eating for a reason. Um, I had, it was, it was for, for comfort. Um, you know, for that mental blank spot in my head where I didn't want to feel. And I learned at a very early age that if that food would be comforting to me, certain foods were, were comforting to me. And um, so it's it just, um, it was. I'm just really glad that we're going over this so many times because I could not... Um, understand why I kept picking it up. You know, I have this disease, and at a very early age, I learned how not to feel. And, um, you know, just thinking that I can, um, or not even thinking, just having a feeling come over me, not even being aware of what my feeling is because I didn't feel for so long. I just ate. That was my solution. You know, the food was my solution. And today I can go to God. I don't need to go to that food anymore. And that's such a miracle. Um, you know, it's only work, you know, through working these steps that I could come to that, re- you know, that um, reasoning that um, God is the answer. And I get so much more from God. Sometimes the, um, it's not the quick gratification that I got from food. It's usually not. Um, when I go to God, sometimes it's slow. Sometimes it's um, not clearly understood. But it's so much more um, satisfying. The the effect is so much more lasting than the quick, um, instant gratification that I get from food. That quick gratification is so quickly gone away the next morning when I have that hangover from the food. So uh, thanks so much for, you know, repeating this. Um, it's been, you know, helpful for me. Thanks, Melanie, and um, that's it. Thank hi, you. Can I share? This is Leba. Yes. Yes, Leba. Good morning. Hi, hi. Um, so I really relate to um, this um, scenario with Fred. Like the thought, like he, he had no controls just in his mouth, you know. And um, thank God, you know, I have over three years of abstinence. I should say not all of it is... Um, um, is recovered abstinence. Some of it is white knuckles at the beginning before I was able to go through the steps. But um, it is such a big difference that, um, that you know, before I was abstinent, you know, my kids used to leave, like, you know, half-eaten pieces of cookies or whatnot, I don't know, all kinds of stuff around. And, like, before I knew it, it was in my mouth. I was like, what happened? Why did I put it in my mouth? And, and I, like, exactly like Fred, like, there was, like, no thought, no control, nothing. It just in my mouth before I could even think. And now it's like, okay, take all the stuff, I just throw everything in the garbage, all their little half-eaten pieces of who knows what. 
And, um, and it's really a miracle. It really is. And it really is working the steps and going through it. And it re- like, you know, I don't know if newcomers, when they hear people sharing, you know, like people that are recovered, they're probably thinking like, oh, what are they talking about? But it really is true. Once you work the steps, you turn things over to a higher power, to your God. And, um, and, you know, you go through the inventory and you clean house. Like God does a miracle and it doesn't really become an issue anymore. So um, with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Liva. Who else would like to comment on what was read? This is Bella. Can I share? Good morning, Bella. Yes. Good morning. Thank you. My name is Bella, and I'm a thankful recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, Melanie, for doing this service, and thank you very much, everybody on the line. Wow, it's a very, very painful paragraph, and I was there. Thank you, God, that I can say I was there and not anymore. And this is the obsession of the mind. Um, Yes, I have an obsession of the mind regarding food, and I cannot think straight when it comes to the food. There is no memory that my memory is pretty good, thank God. But in regarding food, the memory is gone. I I have a pretty a, a pretty normal making sense of things, but not in regarding food. This is the way my mind is created. This is my mind in all regarding food. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, that I know now the answer that there is a solution. I have to fill out my mind in a, with different thoughts. And I have to exercise my mind. How I exercise my mind? By doing the steps and by leaving the steps. And step one is the foundation to accept and admit that I am powerless. Yes, I am powerless. I have to to exercise my mind and to really accept and believe that I am powerless and therefore I need to be connected to God. Yes, I want to be connected to God because as soon as I am connected to God, 100% all the time, it doesn't matter when and where and, and where I live and who I am, as soon as I am connected to God, my mind thinks different. My mind has different direction of thinking because if I am taking the control and the power, then when I have black spots in my mind, the only solution to, to, to fix my mind, to, to control my mind, is only by being connected to God, to let, to, to let God drive my life. When I am putting all my thinking about my connection to God into my mind, then when I can, um, then when I can control my thinking about food and, and the obsession about food is disappearing. Only when I am connected 100% all the time with God. Thank you for letting me share and I pass. Thank you, Bella. 
Who else would like to comment on what was read? Monica. Oh, good morning, Monica. Good morning, And then I heard Ellen. someone else. One moment, I, could, I heard someone else chime in. Yes, Hannah. Hi, Hannah. Monica and then Hannah. Good morning, Melanie. Good morning, everyone. My name is Monica. I am a recovered compulsive overeater. And wow, what um, what a packed uh, paragraph here. I'm trying to think where to start off. They had prophesied that if I had an alcoholic mind, the time and place would come, I would drink again. And um, they said, though I did raise a defense, it would one day, it would one day give way before some trivial reason for having a drink. So they're talking about the obsession of the mind here. And I can remember, um, you know, reading this the first few times and, and, and looking at this and going, oh, okay, that's my problem. I got this blank mental spot. And that's as far as I could go with it at that point. And it was sort of like, oh, poor me, you know. I got this strange mental blank spot here. And I didn't go any further. And then, you know, God reveals more to us all the time, all the time. He knows when we're ready. And, you know, I probably did a little more research and development like, like Fred did here. And then it's like, oh, 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 my God, I have an alcoholic mind. And what does that mean? That means I have a defect in my thinking when it comes to food. That there's something not quite right there. My mind doesn't connect the dots like normal people do. My mind does not remember the consequences of what's going to happen, how I'm going to feel horrible as it is after I binge again. It's not going to remember all the promises I've made that today I'm going to be a good girl and follow my diet plan today. It doesn't, you know, I have no memory and I don't remember the consequences and in all my, my willpower and all the knowledge I know just goes right out the window. Why is that? And they're very clearly telling me here, I have an alcoholic mind, period. Monica, you are a pickle, and you are never going to be a cucumber again. And that is, you know, and, it, it, and, this, and he goes, wow. He goes, wow. Me? And I myself, too, who felt so, thought so highly of myself and all my smarts and my self-knowledge. And I could explain all of this stuff to you and, and um, you know, tell you how to do it all. But when it came to me, I didn't have a clue because I have an alcoholic mind. And I had to come to that conclusion. Okay, I didn't ask for this. It's not my fault, but it is a fact. I have this alcoholic mind, and the book is telling me here through all these, these different stories that I have absolutely no defense against this thinking, this abnormal thinking that I have. But they do have a solution, and they do have something that works, and it does work. And I guess with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Monica. Connor, it's your turn. Good morning. I'm Hannah. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Colorado. Um, thank you for having the meeting. I really, I, um, I, you know, 20 years ago I got into trouble at work because I was 
feelings, I don't like to say that, I just like to say I was helping myself, but I was taking food that did not belong to me. That was for the department heads weekly meeting and somebody noticed um, and and that was my bottom because I knew I couldn't stop um, and that was when I, I asked a friend to take me to OA. I was in another 12-step program so I, I knew about OA um, but I had to come to OA to address it. Um, and what I hear, you know, I still remember that the compulsion, that the, the craving and the compulsion, I would just go, I knew it would be Friday morning and the bagels would be out and I would think they won't notice there's one missing. Um, even though after, whenever the meeting was over, we could have whatever was left. Um, and what I hear in remembering that, that complete blank spot, complete no, no thought for the consequences, not even able to process the, con the consequences, uh, what this, this reading spoke to me today was I need to surrender the God of my understanding with the same kind of, um, with the same intensity with which I surrendered to that compulsion and craving. Um, and, and I know that that's possible because I, I experience it on a daily basis. And it just is such... Um, it's so different because it's not surrendering to a craving. It's surrendering to what's life-giving. That I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Hannah. Would anyone else like to share on what was read before we move on? Barbara. It's Leah. Hi. Good morning, Barbara. And then Leah. Thank you. This is Barbara. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. And, oh, well, there's so much. Uh, as I'm looking this morning at the alcoholic mind and thinking of myself with that food-addicted mind which was filled, uh, even in program, with, as is said, self-knowledge, a knowledge of the steps. But how about the living of it and the true being, as it says, beaten and mangled? To take that mind and turn it inside out and upside down from a food-addicted, food-dependent mind to a God-centered God-dependent mind, so that there would be no trivial excuse, as he says. Nothing is trivial, because the consequence is always that horror that is described, and that I know very well from my own experience. That is always the result of the first bite, which always leads to the second to the thousandth. And so all of the, even the seemingly seduction, the seduction of just a little bit more, the quantity, being addicted just to the act of overeating, what seems very innocent. I mean, Fred uses, it would be nice, it would be fine. There's that, as I hear it, that cunning, baffling, powerful lure. But in reality, 
thinking it through. I mean, how crazy in my case is it to think that if my husband doesn't want to go to the movies on a Saturday night, every Saturday night, that, oh, if I go and eat something, I'll feel better. Is that going to make him want to go to the movies with me the next Saturday night? I mean, an insanity, in a sane mind sees that. Well, I, I have to pray and work through the 12 steps and all the practices of a spiritual life to be rid of that alcoholic mind, to experience a psychic change so that it's very clear that I have one answer, and that is a spiritual solution in the steps and in my way of life. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Barbara. Leah, you're next. Thanks so much, Melanie, for your service. Good morning, everybody. My name is Leah. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Not only had I been off guard, I had made no fight whatever against the first drink. This time I had not thought of the consequences at all. Um, Such powerful reading here. You know, I don't know about you, but I sat in the OA rooms from 1982 to 1987, and uh, besides the fact that the doctor's opinion was never developed in those rooms, never cracked open. Um, this idea of this concept of the alcoholic mind just wasn't um, focused upon. Um, you know, that was my experience. And, you know, without understanding the nature of my illness, I did not have the sense of urgency that's necessary in order to pursue and persevere through this, these step, you know, this step work. Um, you know, Fred here is, uh, you know, totally in line with what we know from page 24, you know, those italics, I, and I'll personalize it for, you know, in regards to Fred, you know, the fact is that Fred, for reasons yet obscure, has lost the power of choice in drink. His so-called willpower has become practically non-existent. He is unable at certain times to bring into his consciousness with sufficient force the memory of the suffering and humiliation of even a week or a month ago. Fred is without defense against that first drink. And that is the greater aspect of our disease Yes, we have an allergy of the body. Yes, that's a bad problem. But I've got a problem much worse than that. I've got a problem with my mind. Because unlike Fred, when I felt like I had had enough uh, and I put my foot down and said, you know, no more, that's it, plug in the jug, you know, I'm going to be happy now and my life's going to go on just marvelously, all of a sudden, much like Fred, I would change my mind. And taking a bite of my binge foods seemed like the best idea I had had in a long time. The big book says I'm having a mental deficiency which prevents me from processing reality, especially with respect to alcohol in the sense of Fred or with my binge foods for me. No, ba- no matter how badly I want to see it, no matter how badly, how painful those consequences were, no matter how clearly the information is presented to me by credible people, It's not enough to conquer the obsession of the mind. My mind has to be transformed. Why? Because I'm suffering, like Fred, from a disease which only a spiritual experience will conquer. 
You know, I'm being driven by a compulsion. Can't stay stopped. Fred can't stay stopped. That mental possession just hijacks his mind. And he can't remember the consequences. And he can't remember the humiliation. And he forgets to remember. He does not connect the dots. My big book says that it's going to take a transformation of thought and attitude. And when the spiritual malady is overcome, we straighten out mentally and physically. And that was my experience. But until I understood this, I did not pursue it with the sense of desperation and urgency that was necessary. I had to work this program as if my life depended on it because it did and does. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Leah. Now we'll move on to the next reader, who will be Larry from Chicago. Larry, would you please start reading on page 42, first paragraph. Larry, are you there? Press star one. I, I, I am here. Sorry about that, Mel. Can you Good hear morning. me okay? Good morning. I can. Thank you. Okay, Larry recovered compulsive overeater from Chicago. Sorry for the um, technical difficulties. Um, okay, so here we are. Uh, two of the members of Alcoholics Anonymous came to see me. They grinned, which I didn't like so much, and then asked me if I thought myself alcoholic and if I were really licked this time. I had to concede both propositions. They piled on me heaps of evidence to the effect that an alcoholic mentality, such as I had exhibited in Washington, was a hopeless condition. They cited cases out of their own experience by the dozen. This process snuffed out the last flicker of conviction that I could do the job myself. Okay, so, you know, what we see here, you know, good old Fred, what, what's, what's great about more, more about alcoholism in this chapter is they're giving us, you know, a few different examples in which we can identify. And, uh, you know, we've got the man of 30, you know, the jaywalker, you know, a little bit crazy, uh, you know, and then we have um, Jim, definitely life was, was, had him around the throat. Um, and then, and then of course, Fred. And Fred, Fred was a little different. See, I can identify maybe a little bit more. We call Fred maybe a higher bottom, if you will. His life wasn't so bad, you know. And, and I think it's, you know, very purposeful that we can see these different examples because um, it's so easy, particularly for a higher bottom person, where, you know, maybe physically they were a higher bottom. Maybe, uh, you know, uh, maybe uh, in our case, or, or maybe, uh, you know, in terms of the manage- manageability of his life, he was a higher bottom. He said his life was okay. But here he was, you know, drunk again. And now, you know, um, you know he's, he's uh, like, like us so many times, regardless of how, how good his life seemed to be, um, here he was right back there. And so now... He's got two members of Alcoholics Anonymous that come to see him, and they grinned. And, you know, I can tell you, for me, I remember coming to my first, my very first meeting at OA after having um, what was a very, very common day for me prior, the previous day, you know, three fast food meals a day was my food plan with sugary dessert items and salty, gravy, crunchy, you know, uh, salty, savory, crunchy stuff in between, and I was miserable again found myself in this situation again as I was driving my nice car, you know, that ran, um, for, you know, and, and as I had time away from my job, my good paying job, 
but I, nonetheless, I was at a meeting. And I remember, you know, this um, they, they, the newcomers, it was a larger meeting, and, you know, the newcomers, they had, um, uh, you know, a person that uh, volunteered to, to take us newcomers um, off to a little area after the beginning of the meeting. And I remember she had clear eyes. And that was the first, I mean, her physical packaging was, was also different. It was it was a thinner um, packaging, but that wasn't so much what I noticed because, you know, the thinnest in the room is not always the healthiest, right? Um, but um, but she had clear eyes and she spoke with conviction and she grinned and it pissed me off, quite frankly. You know, I mean, what what's there to grin about? You know, I'm I'm uh, you know, maybe there was some envy, maybe wh- whatever was going on, my insane thinking you know, coming out of a food fog the night before, not so many hours before. So like Fred, you know, uh, you know, they come in and, and, and she talked about a couple of propositions just like uh, like these guys. You know, Bill, um, you know, number one, the two propositions, are you an alcoholic? You know, am I a compulsive overeater? You know, do, am I, one of, am I one, of, one of us? Am I part of the group? And the second part is, is are you licked? Are you defeated? You know, do you fully concede that you are powerless? You know, we talk about hopelessness, hopeless without hope. Well, you know, I, 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 was, I, was, I thought I was willing to make those concessions, but I can tell you it was years from that day that, uh, of this process that I made a full concession that snuffed out the last flicker of my conviction, my, my beliefs, that I could do the job myself, I was to go out and continue to try to do the job myself. And, um, you know, so, so I mean, when, when we look at this, um, you know, a sick mind, like we would say, a sick mind like mine that came into the room desperately wanted to be able to heal myself through self-knowledge. You know, I had no mental defense against the first bite, just like Fred. And I can't stress this enough, you know, neither you or I based on my experience and based on what I read, but based on my experience more so than anything, neither you or I, if you are an al- have an alcoholic mind like me, can provide such a defense. My defense must, says it, must come from a higher power. And uh, if, you're an al- if you're not an al- if you don't have an alcoholic mind like mine, if you are not a true compulsive overeater, God bless you. You know, you, maybe, you, maybe you don't need a power greater than yourself to do this. I know for me, I did. And so for as long as you believe, if you're like me, that you can do this without a spiritual awakening, you will not recover. And I say that grinning, and not, not, not from a perch or not, not in, in a way to, you know, to, to, I, just, I, I wish someone would have really, really um, gotten honest with me and said, you're not going to recover. You know, we're very nurturing in a way, and that's nice. It feels good to be very nurturing. And frankly, I like to be nurturing. But I got to tell you, if you're like me, you will not recover unless you, unless you have a higher power that will do this for you. You know, the obsession will not be lifted. That is my experience. You will fight it. You know, the opposite of the promises. You will fight it. You will try to avoid temptation. You, you will not be placed in a position of neutrality 
safe and protected, you will continue to try to swear off, you know, Groundhog Day again and again. The problem will continue to exist for you and you will continue to experience fear, unfortunately, over this. The opposite of the promises. For me, um, by the grace of God, nothing that I uh, des- was deserving of, as I, as I say, um, I, I, I don't fight it anymore. I'm not struggling. You know, I, I, I don't try to avoid temptation. I don't need to try anymore. God has lifted this from me. I am placed in a position of neutrality. I feel safe and protected. I'm going to be leaving in a little while to meet my siblings over at the hospital to figure out what we're going to do with dad, you know, and, and how we're going to be able to be there for him, you know, as, as he, as he uh, you know, his last days. Perhaps, you know, only God knows, but, you know, um, I, I still have a peace and serenity. What the heck happened to me? I know what happened to me. I had a complete psychic change. Amazingly enough, as a result of working these steps. And, you know, if you get just like Fred, you know, again, that antiquated name Fred, like Larry, not too many Freds or Larrys, but, you know, if you are able to just fully concede and get this, this message and quit fighting, stop trying to kick and thrash about in the water. That's what I needed to hear. Let myself be saved. You know, in, in, in the state, in the midst of panic, in the midst of worry, in the midst of fear, allow myself to be saved. Literally. Literally saved. And if I didn't have a, a power that would save me, if that was my conception, if that was my belief that I can continue, the power was me, then I'd better find another power. Otherwise, I will be in the midst of this misery. I will continue to be in the midst of this misery. And all those other people that seem to have what I would like to have, that peace and serenity in the midst of calamity, gosh, it will be unfortunate. It will be unavailable to you. That's my experience. Thank God for Alcoholics Anonymous. It saved my life. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Who would like to comment on what was read? Marcella. Hi, Marcella. Come on. Sure. And Marcella and then Paula. And do. Oh, hi, do. Okay, Marcella, Paula, then do. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. My name is Marcella. I'm a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. Happy, joyous, and free with no cravings today. Thank you, God. Um, So the crushing blow that is the awareness that I cannot stop eating no matter how much i know and no matter how much i have suffered in the presence of food i lose my style my college degrees don't matter my lineage and my religious affiliation don't work i just cannot stop what a crushing blow and the fight is not there anymore That is one of the most confusing things in recovery. It's confusing, but it's a very, very narrow door to freedom. Once I finally experience a crushing blow, and I understand inside and outside of my body, inside and outside of my mind, that I lost the battle, that's the little crack in which I have to believe that an outsider will do the job because it has done it has been been done in others. And that's a little door 
that I open to my higher power to relieve me from the obsession. So I don't have to fight anymore because I don't need to fight anymore. The obsession has been removed. And because I don't fight my cravings and the food that I eat every day, I cease fighting everything and everybody, including food. Is that crazy? But it happens. It happens if you follow the very simple, easy-to-follow directions of this book. So if you finally experience the crushing blow of your powerlessness over food as I did three years ago, there's hope. You will get better because my fight has been replaced with the most beautiful conviction that indeed there is a power greater than all of us together in this line this morning that will relieve us from our alcoholism. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Marcella. Paula D., you're next. Thank you. This will be Paula D., and thank you, Melanie, for doing this service. Much appreciated. You know, I just was thinking about that word grinned, and, you know, as I was listening to our former speaker, that's what I was doing. Yeah, it doesn't really make sense, does it? But this is it. You know, I want to go back to 41. Just for a moment, just take a word. That's all. And it says how they prophesied. And I want to use that word, how they prophesied, a prediction made under divine influence. You see, they already were our two alcoholics that came to see him. And they grinned. And he says he didn't like it so much. Well, he didn't understand there would be a day that he also could do that, that he could grin. See, how could this be? And that's it. These are the things they asked him. If I thought myself an alcoholic, first thing, and if I was really licked this time, and grin they did, and this time I had to concede to both propositions. I couldn't take one and leave the other. No more of that. It had to be both. And then look at what they do. I love this. They piled on heaps of evidence to the effect that an alcoholic mentality such as I had exhibited in Washington was a hopeless condition. And they went over and over and over again the same way each time he would go over and over and back to. And then they end it with this process. Now, what's a process? A series of actions which something develops. What developed here? Slowly or quickly. Developed, it did. This process snuffed out the last flicker. You know, sometimes we have that last flicker. You know what that's about. Come on, the little thought, oh, this time. Yeah, well, I haven't done it for six months, so whoa, wait a minute. You know that last flicker? Uh-uh. Honey, you can't stay. Of conviction that I could do the job myself. Honey, self finally had to get out of the way so God could come. Thank you for allowing me to share. With that, I do pass. Thank you, Paula. Stu, it's your turn. Good morning. This is Stu, Recover Compulsive Overeater. Thank you so much, um, Melanie, for your service. I I love this paragraph because it really, really, you know, um, I think about uh, why is the mental obsession being addressed right in the midst of there's a solution? You know, we're still in step one. We're still taking that 
that part of step one, which is addressing the the second aspect of our disease, which is the mental. And, you know, what I see here is, can I do it myself? Can I lick this disease myself? You know, how many methods have I tried? How many ways of experimentation have I tried to control the outcome of my food? Um, am I smart enough? Am I intelligent enough? Am I, am I able to bring up a defense, raise a defense against this? Am I able to um, uh, exercise willpower and self-knowledge and, you know, think my way out of this, you know? And, and it's saying that, you know, Fred was like, no, I can't do it. I've tried all these methods, and I found that I'm lacking. I'm lacking. And, and you know, of course, you know, the recover people are grinning. I, I know I get excited when I hear my sponsees taking that step where they feel the powerlessness and they feel the defeatness of their own convictions trying to, to uh, you know, manage and control their disease. The fact that they finally admit that they can't, that's going to mean that they're going to want to run to something else. Because when they feel that powerlessness and when they feel that they're defeated and they, they can't do it anymore, then they're ready. They're ready to seek a solution. They're ready to seek something different outside of themselves. And that's why these recovered people are grinning because they, they see that he's slicked. He's defeated. He's down for the count. But do they stop there? No. They... They, um, they pile up heaps of evidence to the effect that an alcoholic mentality such as he exhibited in Washington was a hopeless condition. What do I do with my sponsees? I keep drilling into them, drilling into them. The hopelessness and the conditions of trying to do it myself because that's all I've ever done is try to work this out. How can I control my eating so I can enjoy my binge foods? Someday, somehow, I'm going to beat the game and I'm going to eat like a normal person. That's not going to happen. It will never, ever happen. And so that's, that's the process that they're going through. They're snuffing out that last flicker of, of conviction. You know, if I think I can do it, then I'm not going to want to run to the solution because I think I still can do it. Some kind of way, some kind of how, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to think my way out of this. And so unless I, I hit that defeat, I, unless I'm, I'm down for the count, unless I am totally, uttermost hopeless, I'm not going to want to run to the solution. So I'm, I'm seeing here that he is down for the count and he is looking for something different. Because he knows at this point in time, he's taken step one fully. Fully. Not half measures. He's fully conceded that he can't. And something else has to. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Du. And thank you to everyone who shared today. It is now 55 past the hour and, and time to close our meeting. And we will close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Will you do please come back on the line and read from A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Sure. 
um, do still recover. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with this with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others this is the great fact for us abandon yourself to god as you understand god admit your faults to him and to your fellows clear away the wreckage of your past give freely of what you find and join us we shall be with you in the fellowship of the spirit and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny may god bless you and keep you unto them